Guys, you're in for an absolute treat today. I decided to mix it up a little bit this week and give you a little sneak peek. It's a full episode of a conversation from the Relaxed Running Members podcast with, at the time we recorded it, Australian 1500-metre record holder Ryan Gregson. Since then, cheeky little Stewie McSwain snuck past and taken the record off him. But it was a really great opportunity to sit down with a bloke who's highly renowned for his discipline and his focus when it comes to his preparation for his running. So there was a, a heap of questions that I wanted to ask him about how he gets ready to race, and it certainly didn't let us down. He's a really good bloke to talk to, really easy guy to listen to. So I hope you hope you enjoy this one. Uh, if you do enjoy it and you want to get access to 25 other bonus member-only podcasts with the likes of Brett Robinson and Jess Trengove, Craig Engels, Andrew Wheating, um, you can jump on over to relaxrunning.com slash join to join the Relax Running membership. It's not just the bonus podcast episodes you'll get access to. In fact, the main part of the membership, which I've been working on really hard the last couple of months, is to give to you uh, training programs from the 5K to the marathon, from beginner all the way through to advanced, as well as uh, I'm in the process of putting together a 28-day challenge for new runners, which looks at strength and running and mobility and recovery. It's a really good starting point if you or anyone you know would like just to get the ball rolling. So that training program side of things is really starting to heat up. It's starting to look good. Uh, My favorite part, though, of the membership is the Elite Insight Video Library, the Experts Corner, I like to call it. So we have uh, Olympic athletes and coaches answering members' questions, but also strength and mobility sessions, which are guided by uh, professionals in the sport. We've got running physiotherapists taking you through strength and Pilates uh, recovery. Uh, I've got regular updates of strength videos that I'm offering as as well as a whole heap. So there's there's just a heap of good stuff on there and it's constantly growing. So relaxrunning.com slash join is where you find it. Guys, we're lucky enough to have Precision Hydration again for a sponsor of this week's podcast. If you haven't heard the episode with Andy Blow, uh, really encourage you to go and check that episode out. It was, it was just an insightful chat about how to stay hydrated for a sport like distance running. Apart from running and diet, I can't really think of many other aspects of performance that we need to look at. So these guys are great because they offer us a, an individualized or a personalized hydration strategy. The way they do that is they uh, they have an online sweat test, which is free. I'm going to link that in the show notes for you to check out. Uh, and they look at the way that you've answered questions about your sweat specifically to recommend certain products to you. So if you want to jump on board, you can have a, a free one-to-one video call with one of their sweat experts by emailing them at hello at precisionhydration.com or simply clicking the link in the bio. Uh, they're a really, really highly renowned brand. Uh, brand. They work with the likes of Premier League teams. They're, they're coming at you from uh, the UK, which is why they're connected with people like that. But elite sports all over the world is uh, you know, is, is something that they're connected with. So make sure you make the most of the opportunity. If you like what it is that they've got to offer, which I'm sure you will, for your first purchase, use the discount code or the coupon code RELAXED. One five. That's all in capitals. Relaxed. One five at checkout to get a fifteen percent discount on your first purchase. Guys, if you're enjoying this podcast, would really appreciate a little review, a little like, uh, five stars only on Apple iTunes. It just helps us reach more eyes, more ears, um, so that people can get in touch with what's going on in the running world. Anyway, guys, hey, really hope you enjoyed this one with myself and Ryan Gregson.
I, I can look at you. I don't mind. Dude, no, I um, I I can't look <laughs> at my own face for an hour. It'll, it'll disgust me. I'll just figure out how to turn it off. Bro. I've got the city, mate. If you haven't, if you haven't figured out, oh, here we go. I'm a, I'm a bit of a dud when it comes to technology. So uh, I've just, I reckon close. Skype is the extent of my knowledge. I was laughing, man, because uh, I got a terrible reputation with my mates when it comes to responding to texts, responding to messages. But with this podcast and just trying to stay organised, I'm the king of it. Like I've, I'm just so organised. So uh, when I messaged you and you weren't getting back to me, Jen said when I did the podcast with her, she's like, oh, he'll do it. She goes, just uh, if he doesn't get back to you, message me. So I thought, all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just don't see Instagram as like real life. It's, uh, it, it is, but like it's just I'm much better on WhatsApp. Uh, yeah, are you really? See, I, um, I, I deleted that off my phone the other day because I've got about 16 I've got about sixteen platforms people try and message me on. And uh, I'm so sick of the question. People, people say, hey, I'll give you a buzz later. I say, no worries. They go, all right, what platform do you want to do? I go, mate, just give, have you got my number? <laughs> just give me a call. Message on Strava or LinkedIn oh, or something. bro, I'll tell you what. Oh, yeah, hey, mate, just to, so we don't double up too much, you just want to – I'm already recording, but I'll, I'll, we haven't started yet. We'll just um, – do you want to just jump straight into it? Of course, yeah. Have you got a, about an hour or so, bro, you reckon? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I always laugh. I say, uh, I say about an hour at the start, but it could turn out to be like an awkward first date where we get 40 minutes in and realise, oh, this isn't going to go too well. <laughs> no, I don't think that'll be the case. Mate, um, right. how's, uh, how's quarantine treating you? Uh, to be honest, I haven't really noticed the difference. <laughs> um, obviously, r- races have been taken away, but, um, you know, really, I just train every day as it is, and thankfully, uh, I've been able to do that. Um, obviously, we, we can't train train as a group, but I do a lot of running with uh, my wife, Genevieve, anyway, as it is. Um, so we just do sessions on our own. We do all, all the running, other running together, and um, I'm up at my one of my parents' houses in, um, in Foster in northern New South Wales. It's a nice place on the beach, plenty of, plenty of good running around here. So it's actually been a nice little... Um, kind of like training camp up here it's been really good how good is that man i uh, i was laughing the other day i saw a meme come up on instagram saying uh like how sad is it when you realize that quarantine's just your normal life but it's <laughs> me, yeah i'm actually um i've just gotten so used to obviously it sucks and we want the races to come in because that's our you know that's what we what we train for and that's our way of making an income but um it is there is silver lining sometimes it's been a really nice time to um, so, you know, spend with my family. That, that's why we came up here, and and um, this place is a, is a really good place for running. And I'm also taking on a bit of extra subjects at uni um, to to finish off my degree this year. So hopefully, that'll be a silver line lining at the end of all this. That'll actually, at the age of age of thirty, I'll I'll finally have a degree <laughs> that I should, probably should have done when I was twenty one. Mate, I'll take the life of international running, Ryan, any day over finishing your studies. Yes. But, mate, I forgot you're a Sydney boy, actually. I've been so used to seeing your name associated with the Melbourne Track Club that you're, uh, in my head, you've just become associated with, with Melbourne. So it's, uh, I reckon, actually, man, you used to originally be a Perth boy, didn't you? Because I, I lived in Perth for a few years, and uh, you're, I'm 33 now, so you're a couple of years younger than me. But I was yep. running around over there with, with Raph Bow back in, like, 2000 and one to 2000 i see you guys are um you're mates with raf aren't you like how long were you in perth for yeah raf's a very good man i've got a lot of respect for ralph raf um i think what he does um for running i just think he's a very special guy 
he's got a lot of energy and his heart's in the right place. Um, um, yeah, he, he's great for the sport over there. And if I um, he can spruik anything, if I was involved with like Athletics Australia or something like that, I'd be bloody hiring Raf to just. He surely you can involve him somewhere in marketing because he does know how to. Um, you know, whether it be the the Bunbury um, handicap races on the grass, he does know how to to build something up and and make it a great event. So, yeah, is he is he working mostly with juniors? Because uh, I remember when I was there running around, he was always a massive support to me as well. I used to love seeing his his head running around at races. Because yeah, you're right, he's a great man. He always had something positive to say about whatever was going on, and, and happy to point you in the right direction when he saw you know an yeah. area that yeah you might want to improve. Yeah, I think he's a he's a physio by, you know, he was a physio, but I think he's trying to not be a physio as much as he can by getting involved in other things like, like public speaking and event organising and and things like that. But um, I don't I don't fully know, but I think he's a physio who's who's trying to not be a physio anymore and and getting involved in other things. But uh, I, I was there, I was in Perth from two thousand and one, start of two thousand and one end of 2000 to the end of 03 so a good three years I went over there for my dad's work and uh yeah Raf was the like the commentator every week at the like the interclubs yeah the athletica series they were called and I used to go like do little a's in the morning and then in the afternoon I used to go compete again so I'd sometimes like yeah do a 1500 in the morning at at McGilvray the good grass track over there running for Perry Lakes little a's and then in, at the, in the afternoon, I'd I'd race again uh, for UWA. It was like the senior club, and uh, do it at Perry Lakes, the 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 synthetic track, and, and try to run faster. Yeah. Um, and and Raf used to commentate, so that's how I first. And he used to like get me up in the grandstand to say good day and have a bit of a chat to him on, on the loudspeaker and stuff like that. And he was um always so supportive of me. Yeah, beautiful man. It's funny. It's a blast from the past whenever someone brings up Perth. And what 2003, you went back to. To Sydney, did you? Because I reckon the first time I uh, I probably noticed you on the running scene, I was I would have been two thousand and six. Um, what you would have been about fifteen years old there, and I saw you run the three k at the Junior Zadapec Champs. I reckon Mitch Frey might have won it, and you like it, it might have been a world uh, youth qualifier. You ran about was it eight fifteen or something? Something crazy. I remember seeing you run around. I'm pretty sure you were a Sydney boy then, weren't you? Yeah, so I lived in um, I lived in Wollongong for like ten years, Perth for three years, and then back to Wollongong from like when I was thirteen to um, twenty two, say, and then then I moved to to Melbourne. But yeah, that that race you're talking about was um, yeah Zadapec two thousand six. I was sixteen, and Mitch Mitch was he would have been a year older than me, and he was an amazing runner. And um, yeah, uh, I think I ran about eight nineteen. He ran. Eight seventeen, I think James Matthews in, in between us, if I can recall, and um, yeah, that was like my first race against guys, you know, a fair bit older than me. So um, that was a good result. But yeah, Mitch Frey, he he cleaned us up pretty comfortably, and he was only one year older than me. So that's how that's how good he was. Yeah, it was crazy, man. I remember that was a that was a year he was in a he's three or yeah, probably two or three years younger than me. And I remember he was tailing me up in plenty of races. So when I saw you running around with your with your luscious curls in that race, I yeah. thought, bloody hell, this is a uh, the start of something big, and I, uh, I reckon that was the start of a bunch of thirteen to fourteen year old kids rocking the sweatband. On there, I don't know why. I don't know why I did that. I certainly, <laughs> certainly wasn't using it during the race. 
Um, but I reckon like I led that whole I would have led that whole race. I used to run so different back then. Like I would have led that. That's all I knew. I would have led from like start to probably two hundred meters to go, and the other guys would have came around. Um, yeah, crazy. Uh, sweat band. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I'm waiting. I've been waiting for you to bring it back for the last six years, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still I'm still wearing mine on my long run, just in the hope, just in the name of Ryan Gregson to, to like on the arm or the headband. No, sorry, the sweatband on the arm. Actually, you you, what, arm. you were rocking the headband as well, were you? Nah, that's that was Jeremy Roth. I never put that on the. I never put it on, on my head. I didn't go that far. But, um, yeah, I don't know what I was doing. It's just impractical right, right now. I just be like, why? What's the what's the purpose? I'm not playing. Not a fast bowler or something like that. Yeah, or a squash player. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what was that would have been the start of a lot of big things for you, was it? Because uh, when I when I sort of think about you as an athlete, I reckon that's probably that's the big event that stands out in my mind. Of like when someone says Ryan Gregson or like where did he start? I sort of think oh that that race flashes to my mind. But that that next five years after that would have just just blown your mind a little bit, did it? Like the progression from. From that race to like three years later, you were running what like three thirty, three thirty fives and stuff like that. What was was that a bit of a crazy journey for you, man? Like as a junior, as a, as a bloke who's ran around and sort of dreamt of of running on an international circuit myself, I, I can definitely appreciate how how big those breakthroughs are. But it's funny also when you look back to yourself as a young bloke when they're happening, you can almost take it for granted. You just take it as the way it is. Like what does that what does that whole journey look like for you when you look back at it? Yeah, it just all happened so so easy, and um, I, I think uh, I've, it happened with me. It happens with a lot of other um, good athletes too. You see, when they're the first time they're breaking through, um, it's just the easiest it ever comes. I don't know if it's to do with momentum is part of it, uh, but also the fact that you're you're young, you're robust. Quite often, you're as fast as you ever are in regard to like natural speed you're super strong because like you're 18 20 like you're a strong young man and everything's all happening at once and it just combines to just this rapid rate of improvement sometimes and then um it, it can be hard to if you have a big setback and really after from the age of 20 to 25 i was injured for five years and so and then finally in 2016 i started running good again and um it's just so to do something a second time um, when you've had a massive layoff, it's just so much harder than the first time. Because like when I was first running well, I was just kind of building year by year and my stimulus was low. So like I didn't need to do much work to get into good shape. And um, like I was so much, I had so much more natural speed back then as well because I was just young and sprightly and it just happens so easily. But then, then when you when you have have years and years of injuries to try and get get back to that level, it just takes it takes so much more work. So yeah, at the time I was taking it for granted just because I didn't know that um, it wasn't always going to be like that. But um, um, I, I'm just thankful I was able to you know get some fast times out when when things came easy. Yeah, well, you, you've turned that around, man. Like I, I find that really interesting because I've taken a little note to chat to you about your injuries because I know it's it was sort of a, a part of your career that sort of plagued you for a few years there. But um, was that a range of different injuries that you're going through or is that just like a, a constant injury that just kept coming back that you couldn't quite shake? No, thankfully I've, I've never really had the same injury twice. So 
Um, in that five years, you know, I probably had, um, well, maybe the navicular. That's something that I, I did a couple of times in that in that period, which isn't good because that's a bad injury. So a couple of navicular stress fractures, um, tendon issues like in my knee, in my hamstring, in my Achilles, and then like a femur stress fracture, a sacrum stress fracture, um, tibia, no, fibula stress fracture. So there's lots of things, but for the most part, they were all all different injuries. So... Um, Obviously, when people get injured, the first thing people say is, well, why didn't you just go easier or pull up when you first started getting sore? But quite often, you know, I remember back in yeah, 2013 with a um, sacrum stress fracture, I literally felt it one day. Um, I was actually on a run with, with Jen. We were, in, um, we were in Canberra. She was at the AIS for for something, and I was in Wollongong at the time, and I went down and, and visited her just for a couple of days and we were out on a run and I felt fine and she saw Tristan Thomas, mm -hmm. the Australian 400 meter hurdler and stopped for a chat and I said, g'day, but I needed to go for a wee. So I just ducked into the bushes for a wee and um, as I started back running again to go and join them, I just couldn't move and had to like walk home sideways and um, yeah, that was it. So I really had no warning. And then I woke up the next day, it was just like the same, could only walk sideways and I got a scan and it was a stress fracture in my sacrum. So, um, but that kind of, that kind of happened because I, I did have a sore knee tendon and I was like, um, compensating. So it was sore, sore right knee for like a few weeks. And then that made my sacrum, um, crack, but uh, it was a tricky one because you can't just fully stop with a knee tendon because they don't like that either. So I kind of was still running, but but then compensating that led to my back. But I, I really didn't have any warning with my back, so it's tricky sometimes. People would say, you know, why didn't you stop earlier? But a lot of my injuries kind of um, came super quick, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't really have have much chance. Or there were situations where. Um, you know, quite often in that period from 2010 to 2015, I was um, – a difficult thing was I always had the ability to, to make a team off not much preparation. So even if some years I only started running in like March, I'd be able to qualify for the team in, say, May and run 336. And um, like in 2014 that happened and then by June – my quad was sore, but I had to race comp games pretty close after. And in the end, it was a, it was a femur stress fracture. But um, and that probably happened just because I had absolutely no foundation. My body was weak. But it was just um, what are you going to do when your quad starts getting sore like a week out from a Commonwealth game? You're still going to have a go. So it's a pretty tricky situation. Um, I didn't really do anything more than any injury more than once. Um, but really, probably the best thing during that whole period would have been to um, even if I could have could have made a team, just just forget about it that year and take. Um, even though I was never really rushing back that much, maybe just even take twice as or three times as long to get back to fully to fully shake things. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting when you bring up the subject of injury because it's I think it's comforting for a, a lot of people. I know a lot of the listeners here they they reach out speaking about different injuries and um, just different niggles and things that they have and see if I can point them in the right direction. But I think. 
uh, one thing that's comforting is to know that a bloke like yourself has had to had to go through the the trials of dealing with these niggles and injuries as well. But uh, I think the second question after someone asks, like uh, you know, is there any anyone you can recommend to see about it is like how do you go about fixing it? And and you seem to be a bloke who's managed to turn it around pretty well from from what I know about you on the public sort of athletic scene. But have you um have you radically changed anything? Like I, I look back at yourself as a as a junior and. One of the things I would say if someone asked me about one of the biggest things I've noticed just watching you run is your technique looks so you, – you used to be very low. Like you seem quite low to the ground. It almost looks like you've radically changed your your technique as you've gotten older. Is that something that you were conscious of or has that been like a just a natural progression in your strength which has held you up upright a little more? Or Like how have you managed to turn around yeah. that? Good question. I think it's probably more of a natural progression with strength, but not not just running more and staying uninjured, but just strength in the gym and doing heaps of butt uh, activation and, and, and strengthening. But it is just something – if you – say I did nothing in the gym. I, I do do a lot of stuff in the gym. Uh, I lift a lot of weights and I do a lot of um, you know glute strengthening daily and stuff like that. But even if I did none of that, never stepped foot in the gym, never did anything and just, just ran, well, you, you, your body will naturally – want to become efficient because at the end of the day, your body wants to get from point A to point B as fast and as efficient as possible. So it's going to naturally get better and, and more fluent. So uh, I think that getting really strong in the gym and, and getting you know really good glutes and a good core will um, fasten up that process. But I think the main thing is, is just running and, um, you can't you can't really get a better style if you're not running. So if if you're healthy for a long time, and doing all those things in the gym will enable you to stay healthy. And just more and more running, you become more and more uh, efficient. Um, unfortunately, I think I didn't come out of my my mum's womb very well. I must have come out all arms and legs everywhere. So that's I think why my style is a bit all over the shop. Some people just come out looking like a Rolls Royce. So um, I must have come out a bit weird. That's why like I've got an arm that kind of moves to the side. But I've style, I've never really fully worried too much because I just know if there's been situations where I say I'm on a run where I've really concentrated on my arms just completely going forward and back. Halfway through the run, my arms are tired. I've got lactic in my arms because it's not normal. So, like I'm, you know, I'm 29 now, turned 30 in a couple of days. The way I run is my most efficient way of running. And if you look at some of the best runners in the world, um, like you might look at, you might look at Joe Deng and you're like, why in the home straight has he got his head back? Because you know when he's getting tired, that's his most efficient way of running. Is just that's what feels natural to him at the time, and I wouldn't change it. Um, Mo Farah's got an arm that does some stuff. I remember Collis Birmingham used to they used to say he's like stirring porridge with one of his arms. So <laughs> it's just, I think, um, yeah, style is just something I wouldn't wouldn't tinker too much with. The main thing I would suggest is whatever your style is for the say, if you're running a five k, whatever your style looks like for the first four uh, k, you want it to look like that for the last k as well. You just don't want it to deteriorate. I think that's the main thing, and that's where a lot of strength and continued running and efficiency can, can come in. So, you know, when you're tired, back in the day I, I used to sit and my glutes used to probably switch off because they're fatigued. Now maybe my glutes kind of hold together a bit more. Um, but certainly if I'm doing a really hard session, I'm having a bad day, I'll look like I'm, like you said, I I used to look back in the day when I was low to the ground. That would um, would certainly happen again because, because I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's interesting speaking about the strength side of 
running, I was chatting with, I don't know if you know Dane Verway. Yeah, I know Dane, yeah. Yeah, I was chat- yeah, exactly. So I was I was having a chat with him last night and he's been a physio now for the last 10 years and one of the big things that came out of the conversation with him that he reckons a lot of athletes are just completely unaware of is that as a distance runner or a middle distance runner, it's not just all about running. In fact, if you're just doing all running, like you said, and ignoring the strength exercises and some of those activation exercises, then it's sort of like a shortcut to towards an injury. But I still think it, it catches a lot of runners by surprise. And I was even saying, man, like I, I ran competitively till the age of 24. And uh, and when I was competing, uh, whether it was just, a, you know, I, I wasn't speaking to the right people or not paying enough attention, but I had such a little amount of work in the gym that if I went back, that'd be one of the biggest things I would change. I'll do a couple of sit-ups and push-ups here and there, but if you had seen me in the gym doing squats and deadlifts or, or whatever, you would have been, it would have been the most embarrassing sight because I wouldn't have known <laughs> what I was doing. But um, you mentioned that that's a almost daily part of your routine now, is it, man? Like, what does the strength component of your training look like? Um, I, lift, I lift weights a couple of times a week, and you know, right now I can't lift too heavy just because I don't have the equipment. But, you know, for instance, I, I was just in the – did, did did a gym session just before I hopped on the phone with you and um no the main thing is is um yeah like trying to lift heavy trying to lift heavy so for instance if I'm at a gym I were doing heavy squats like a variety of different types of squats or things like that um with my legs to um generate power um so it might be if a full squat um was was like pr- pretty full squat not not quite full because i don't have the range in my hips to kind of get onto the ground or close to the ground but i might be lifting doing a half squat say lifting 100 kilos maybe doing a quarter squat lifting 150 kilos but not too many reps um here um i just i get jen on my shoulders um and she's obviously not too heavy because she's a distance runner but um i'll get her on my shoulders and and yeah, squat down pretty low to the ground like a full squat and then really explode up to try to get power. So it looks a bit funny when she's on my shoulders, but um, I think a, a mistake that a lot of distance runners do, they think you should just lift light and lots of reps, but that's what we pretty much do when we're running. Like the force that you put um, into the ground and when you're just going out for an hour run, like it, it's a lot. So if you were just going to do um, – you know, five by 10 squats with 20 kilos or 10 kilos in either hand. Um, I just probably wouldn't really do anything. You may as well just go for another run. But so that's why when I, when I do step into the gym, um, I just make sure things are really heavy and, and low reps, um, to, to kind of do something that I'm, I'm not really touching on in any other part of my training. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then, then you know, every day I'm doing like glute activation stuff. So I'm obviously not lifting heavy weights, but I got the therabands out and um, just doing things to just work on all the little small muscles in my butt to try and just stabilize uh, myself every time I land. Um, every time, yeah, I make sure my stride is as is, is, um, sturdy as possible. Yeah, sure, man. So when you're in the the gym, you said you're you're lifting quite heavy weights and lower reps. Like, how many different exercises are you trying to smash out in a in your average gym session? Are you doing two? Did you say you're doing two or three days a week of, of two, heavy yeah, lifting? Yeah, two two heavy lifting a week. So I just make sure I do something on my calves, uh, two exercises on my hamstrings, uh, two two lifting exercises, and then something that's like um, at, something at the start involving jumping, like. Um, 
whether it be like really, really high powerful skips or um, just jumping um, from like a small box onto the ground, then back onto, an, onto, onto another box like that. Uh, just, just things like that. Um, I pretty much write my own programs just because it's probably it's too hard to have a, a gym coach when we're, we're always in different environments and the gym coach is never really it, – it's okay if you're a sprinter and you stay in one place all around the year and you can constantly go to that, that gym. But like right now I'm in, I'm in Foster. Most of the year I'm in Melbourne or London. Then I'm at Falls Creek or we go to an altitude camp in Spain. There's just so many different gyms with different – setups and i've just found it too too difficult to have a, a strength coach and when they don't really know and um what you're dealing with so uh thankfully i've been around a lot and i, I know um i think i have a pretty good idea of the strength stuff i need uh to, to get powerful and also with me because i'm a bit older and i have had a lot of injuries if i kind of uh do exercises that are a bit too exotic or like for instance if I do squats that are too deep my right knee tendon that I've had problems with for like seven years that'll flare up or um, if I do too aggressive jumps my Achilles will flare up um, things like that so that's why I think I am my own best coach just because I know what my body can handle and, and what it can't yeah it's a good point man like after after as many years of running as, as what you've done and, and even what I've done it's you do you start to get a real good taste of, of what you can handle especially it's funny now, like I know you're working along with Nick, but as you as you get older, it's one of those things you can almost you can almost write your program. It's just it's I don't know, uh, like with with Nick, is he is he writing programs for you now? Or is he almost just like that that voice in your your corner, you know, just pointing you in the right direction for like a third party unemotional opinion on where you're at and what needs to be changed? Uh, what what role does Nick play for you now? Uh, the same as he always has. Um, he's obviously still my coach, and um, he. There would never be – it'd be rare to have a, have a, a period in the year where he doesn't know what training I'm doing. But I do enjoy um, – over the past few years, there's been periods like if I've had a small niggle and I've had to step away from the group and um, I've had to, you know, come back on my own. Like I, I do kind of set those uh, – that bit of training myself because obviously Nick trusts me. He knows how I – he knows that I know how to get fit now and um, – Say I'm, you know, at the end of 2017, I had a my navicular flared up a little bit, and um, I felt that I needed um, it was a, it was only a minor hot spot, so I didn't need much. I just felt like I needed two weeks off, and then I felt like I needed a couple of weeks of jogging, then a couple of weeks of some threshold work, and then starting some stuff like that. And Nick just said to me, "Look, Ryan, you know, I can't feel your foot. You know what you need. I trust you that you'll when we go to Falls Creek in November." 10 or something like that um you'll be ready to train with the boys um so yeah i just yeah designed kind of my own program based on how my foot fell and how long long time i needed off and obviously if the athlete's younger um you know nick would need to step in more and make sure they're they're doing um he's kind of overseeing everything but you know i am a bit older now and um you know, I should know my body and I should know what I'm supposed to do. And I see it with other athletes in the group as well. Like Nick will never really say to the, uh, the senior athletes, um, you know, what days to do their double runs on or, um, things like that. It's just kind of, um, expected that 
the athletes will will have learnt what what works for them. And you know, if if they ever need advice, Nick will always give them counsel. But uh, once they've been in the group for a few years, you know, if they if they enjoy having an Arvo off on a Wednesday or a Friday, you know, Nick's not going to force them to run. Um, it'll be it'll be um, what works uh, best for them. And yeah. I see it all the time with say um, Genevieve as well. She like she doesn't run that much. She only runs like max 110k a week because she's um got a an achilles that she's always uh managing it's like it's in a pretty good place right now but um it is a bad achilles so um she's limited by how much she can run and she does you know sometimes five hours of of pool running a week to supplement and you know nick doesn't even need to speak to her and and tell her the cross training that she should be doing it's just expected you know he just knows that as a 30 year old um, you know, two-time Olympic finalist, two-time world championship finalist. That she, she's going to know what she needs to do, and and she does. Yeah, beautiful. It's interesting to hear you say that when you feel something flare up, you'll you'll pretty much just know if you need a couple of weeks off, and then just work your way back into jogging. Because I'm not sure what you were like when you were younger, and uh, I know you mentioned that you had some teams and stuff that you were constantly trying to make, which put the pressure on you to potentially run through some more niggly points, but. Uh, that's one thing that I constantly notice, man. Just the uh, the amount of trouble that people have trying to uh, just hold back on their training. It's such a it's such a funny sport, isn't it? Because we're so committed and we're so OCD when it comes to that improvement. But I think so often we we're so committed to improvement that we forget that sometimes improvement means hey, having a couple of weeks away from the track. So was that something that uh, was that something that you sort of had to learn the hard way that a couple of weeks off was actually beneficial to you? Long term, or were you pretty good at just going from the get go? All right, uh, this pain's come on. It's time to have some time off because it's hard to to make that that committed effort to be able to say, "All right, I'm going to have to have some time away for short term pain, long term gain." Yeah, no, um, good point. Uh, it's something I definitely had to learn the hard way uh, because I didn't really have any injuries until I was say 18, um, and then I had an injury then. But really, things started from when I was 20. So up until 20, I had one injury in my life and it really wasn't that bad. So, um, I didn't really know yeah, how to deal with, with an injury and that, you know, sometimes if you feel something coming on, all you might need is a week and instead of six. Uh, but that's why I do think injuries are important. And I think that because I dealt with that, so many injuries at a, at a you know, relatively young age and, in my career of 20 to 25 or so, I think that is the reason why I have shown longevity and I think that I will show longevity for some years to come just because uh, I learned how to uh, overcome injuries and, and and deal with them and how to um, – like now I'm certainly not scared of taking time off. Um, but if, if an athlete hasn't missed a day in 10 years and you've got to tell them, oh, yeah, um, your Achilles has just flared up a bit from that session on the Tuesday, how about you just you just have three days off? Well, they're not going to do it because they've never had to. But if they when they have to finally stop and get Achilles surgery, the next time they go through it, I'm sure they'll take the few days off because they know that they don't want Achilles surgery again. So it's hard. You can't just – so that's why uh, it's probably – you have to forgive athletes who, who get injured the first time because – um, it's hard. they don't know any better, and um, it's all well and good telling someone what they what they should do. But at the end of the day, everyone's going to want to try and figure it out for themselves. That's why 
so often um, with injuries, you do you do need to figure it out for yourself a lot. Like so often, um, you see someone you know join a different group and they get injured straight away, and people will say, "Oh, well, you shouldn't have joined that group." But that's just that's just what happens. It might be just different training stimulus, but then they'll you know, recover from that, learn from that, and, you know, it may not happen again. Um, it's just part of learning what your uh, ceiling is, what your boundaries mm. are. Like for Genevieve, she knows she can't run over 110K, otherwise her Achilles gets sore. She knows she can't really run up hills. She knows she um, has to always walk around in shoes in the house, um, do two sessions a week, things like that. Um, so she knows what her boundaries are. But if she didn't, never got hurt, she wouldn't. And, um she wouldn't really know what those boundaries are. So you, it, it's, it's unrealistic to um, to never get hurt. It's just about trying not to to have the same – if you have the same injury twice, well, then, yeah, you've got to be looking at looking at what you're doing. Um, but even sometimes then, it's um, it can be inevitable. Like there's a physio in Melbourne, Kev Craigie, who's a good friend of mine, and he's just – has terrible naviculars. I think he's done both naviculars um, multiple times, and he even has a, a twin, identical twin brother who's done both naviculars. So it's like sometimes it's just it's just tough. Um, it will just be a part of a part of your life. But um, I think that athletes who have long layoffs and they have to miss two months, they'll be able to understand that next time it comes around, um, they'll be happy to take the two days. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, man. How have you d- dealt with it from a um, like when it on a headspace level? I know when you when you're reaching for the stars and you're held back by some of these things that come up, it can be so frustrating. But <clears throat> one thing I've enjoyed about your career is just yeah, yeah. You don't. It doesn't appear on the surface, at least, that you let too much bother you. You seem very practical with the way that you approach it. And I've spoken to a few uh, a few of the MTC boys who have just said that yeah, the you're the sort of definition of, of professional when, and discipline when it comes to your training. But I also know that uh, sometimes when it comes to a competitive sport like running, you've got to sometimes play your cards a little bit close to your chest and maybe just try not to reveal how disappointed you are. Actually, it's one thing I love about Conor McGregor when I see him lose a fight. You'll never see him hang his head low in public. Is that a, like, is that a natural skill to you, man, or have, how have you developed that? Because uh, I know a lot of athletes that once they've lost a race or once they've had an injury or, you know, been beaten a couple of times, they'll hang their head low and, you know, just try not to say too much. But I've, I've never seen that side of you yeah, um, in any of the interviews or uh, any of the races that I've watched. How have you sort of built that part of your, your repertoire? Oh, don't get me wrong. There was a time in 2014, Com Games, I was I got run out of the heat, so I was my, I did I did have a stress fracture in my quad that I didn't know about then in my, my femur. Um, I the doctor said I needed to get a scan, but I didn't want to get a scan until after the race because I didn't want to psych myself out. Um, but that day, I, I remember coming off the track and I just jumped. Um, I didn't even see any of the media. I just jumped one of the fences before and just legged it to the um, hobbled straight to the the Walmart track. So. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously, I'm not I'm not perfect, but um, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just always seen that. Um, yeah, there there will be another day. You know, I'm nearly 30 now, but I still believe. You know, I'm so excited for next year, and um, which you know, which was going to be this year, but uh, I just know that when um, 
when everything goes my way and I'm in really good shape and I get to that start line and I'm 100% ready to go, I, I, I do believe I'm, I'm one of the best in the world. And obviously it hasn't happened too many times in my career because, you know, as an athlete, it is, it is super difficult to get on the start line with, you know, ideal training, ideal um, race lead up with confidence, um, everything um, happening at one time. And there's only been a few times in my career where I've got that. So, um, you know, I'm just so excited just searching for those those days again. And I, I still think I, I have um, uh, more of that ahead of me. So um, when I do have a setback or I do have a bad championship or something like that, um, I find it pretty – pretty um easy to um yeah just 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 look to the next thing um and maybe that comes from as well like at the end of the day um i do have a good life if i couldn't run another step now um you know i would see my athletics career as being a totally positive um and and such an enjoyable experience like it's been my life um so far um and you know, it's been a, been an amazing ride. So obviously, people who say you've got no regrets, you know, I find that difficult to understand because I've certainly got I've got plenty of regrets. But um, there's just been so many positive things as well that um, if I have had a bad day or some bad news, um, I find it pretty easy to to just reset, not dwell. Um, and I also feel that the longer you're dwelling. Um, it affects the next thing. So, if the main the main thing, say you you're injured or you had a bad race, well, say you want to have a good race next time. If you keep dwelling on the, that that, for, that previous race, well, it's just going to every day dwelling is going to affect the chances of the next race. So, I remember um, read somewhere, maybe it was um, maybe it was Nick Bedeau told me, I'm not quite sure, but he said that Steve Scott, so the great American miler in the 1980s, he ran. Um, Around 3:46, he for the mile he got second at World Champs in 1983 behind Steve Cram, I think, and he raced heaps. You know, he broke the sub four minute mile more than 100 times, and he said that after any race, he'd give himself an hour, just one hour to dwell, and then um, he'd move on. He wouldn't think about it because so many times we overanalyze and. Whatever your feelings are in that one hour after the race, I'm sure I, I assure you they're the true feelings because the more you think about it after that time, you've probably overanalyzed, you've forgotten a bit about what actually happened and you, you, you've let other thoughts creep in. But how you feel after the finish line and when you immediately speak to your coach, that's it. And, um, yeah, so that's something I've tried to do. Give yourself that hour and then learn what you did wrong, what you did right, and then then move on because any extra thinking is gonna, you know, affect the next race, and um, then you won't be able to redeem yourself because, um, yeah, you'll have wasted wasted too much mental energy um, dwelling on the past. Yeah, it's really good. That's a really good point, man. And one of the things that I've sort of learned just through being associated with the running scene for a long time, and actually, especially since doing this podcast, there seems to be. I think as runners are in general are just interested in getting the best out of themselves that they're looking at you know not only their physical training components but just the, the the mental part of the sport as well and I've noticed there seems to be a real theme amongst athletes speaking about just like little meditation practices and things to to help them develop what it sounds like you've got is that uh, is is meditation and stuff any part of your program or this is just all uh, just very practical 
that Steve Scott approach to the race, just, uh, you know, take it for what it is and then move on? Um, probably not, you know, um, traditional meditation, but I, I, that Steve Scott approach for me, I, I do see that as a form of meditation. It's, it's trying to um, blush, bluff yourself and almost faking it till you make it. That's, that's a saying that I've always liked. Um, you know, when it comes to relaxation around races, you know, no one, no one is perfect. You know, Usain Bolt, like he, I read somewhere that he doesn't wear earphones um, in his warm up because when he has earphones on, he uh, would be just locked into the music in his own thoughts. He can't talk. You can't talk to anyone else when you got earphones on. So he'd, he'd have the music on, but he'd just be trapped in his own head and he'd just be getting nervous about the race um, that was coming up. So. He doesn't wear earphones and he just talks, has jokes with his coach and his training partners and his massage therapist and he's, um, it, it's, all, it's all fun and he's just trying to constantly bluff himself. Um, so that is his form of, you know, was his form of, of meditation. He's not going to sit in a room with um, a bunch of, you know, Buddhist monks and um, all that, but uh, that is his way of getting his, his mind into a, a purely relaxed state. So when, and he's still joking around on the start line. So when they say on your marks, um, now he switches on and now he's only got to switch on for 20 seconds then, 10 seconds for the on your marks set go and then 10 seconds for the race. That's it. Where um, if you're someone who's thought about it in the race in the days leading in, um, morning of, warm up, call room, you know, by the time you get to that race, you're going to be so mentally uh, drained and your instincts will have, you know, they'll be affected because you'll be, you'd be mentally drained. So um, I would say, yeah, just non-traditional meditation of, of just trying to, yeah, fake it till I make it, bluff myself into, into yeah, just, just forced relaxation, which in, you know, before races is, is difficult, uh, but it's something that, um, you know, on race day, if you can try and not think about your race as much as possible and enjoy time with friends, uh, watch movies, um, yeah, um, I feel you'll be a much you'll be much more um, fresh and and mentally ready by race time. That's a great point. Yeah, there's so many ways to just simmer away your energy or just throw energy down the drain, isn't there? And I guess uh, just as, uh, giving emotion to the hypotheticals that you can come up with in your mind is is a fantastic way to make sure that your energy levels are a little bit lower when you're standing on the sideline. So, man, it's, like, it's one of those things. It's, it's funny with sport. There's so many of the little analogies and metaphors that we use, which are just so true for life in general. And I'll say the same thing. Like there's so many areas in my life when I was growing up where I would, I would look at something, I would fret about something, I'd be uptight about something that was coming up in the future and then the day would come and pass and whatever I was worrying about was just some hypothetical that didn't even come close to, uh, uh, you know, coming to pass. So it was one of those things you can just save so much energy and like you said, Usain Bolt I'm sure would be far more effective throwing that down the line in 20 seconds or 10 seconds of his 100 metre sprint than what dwelling on it, uh, you know, would have been for him. Totally. So many things that we worry about in life don't actually end up playing out. So, um, yeah, sometimes you just got to just yeah, let things happen, relax, and quite often they, yeah, if, if you don't think too much, they'll take care of themselves. Yeah, it's a great point, man. I'm thinking uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about MTC at the moment as well because it's been fun just having a chance to have a, have a chat with a few blokes like yourself who I've never really sat down and just spoken to one-on-one for an hour and picked their minds about, you know, what it's been like uh, – 
training together because it was it was fun for me growing up. Uh, little Stewie McSwain was about fourteen. We were both training with Rod Griffin and could see a little bit of talent coming through there, but never anticipated. I think like the rest of the distance running Australia that he was gonna <laughs> he was gonna be banging out the times that he's been banging out now, man. But how's that? Uh, the the whole group environment that you've got there, just that professional group, that that quality group of athletes, been for um, I guess I guess your I don't want to say longevity, but just your enthusiasm for the sport. You're constantly on your toes trying to, you know, match it with, with each and uh, every one of the boys. It must lift you up a bit. Yeah, it's good. And it's um, a major factor um, in the results of a lot of our, you know, the people in our group. Training is, you know, it is fun. Um, you know, for the most part, obviously it is, it is painful, but um, a lot of the people in the group are, uh, good friends. Um, I've always said it, um, but it it does feel like a like a football club. Like it is. Um, there is a lot of banter. There's everyone's you know paying each other out. It's um, it does it is like that football club culture, and you know I'm sure some people wouldn't like that. Um, but I would say our group isn't the traditional um, distance running group like a stereotype of a distance runner is like someone who's you know obsessed with running and talking about splits all day and <laughs> our group is not like that um our group is definitely majority just normal guys who um work hard um but then you know it, it, we'll, we'll catch up and go for a beer together as well um you know spend downtime together um what you know whatever that is and um, it is it is a very close group and and, and same with the girls um, um, our that that side of the group certainly getting bigger and especially with internationals with the the girls as well and I think that's probably a credit to to Nick and um, the result he's had that you know he's getting um, contacted by people from overseas um, yeah, especially these girls and wanting to to train with them and even relocate to Melbourne. So, um, and, and but they, you know, they have a lot of fun together. Um, you know, I, you know, some of the, the the guys in MTC have been my you know closest friends, and and with Genevieve as well, she's got some of her closest friends uh, from the group as well. And I don't think there'd be too many groups in the world who who professional groups that would you know be able to say that. Uh, maybe recreational groups who who've uh, maybe joined because they're friends with someone or recruited their friends. But this is, these are a group of um, very elite athletes and, um, you know, quite a lot would be able to say that um, they're very close friends uh, with one another. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it's this way. And I, I've seen a lot of groups around the world and I think that I've never seen it, anything else like this um, with such um, – such a big group and such um, friendship, but um, yeah, I don't know why. I, I really don't know why. It, it could be because you know we are outsiders. We are um, you know from the other side of the world, so we do have to spend a lot of time living with each other um, in London uh, for racing, training camps overseas, Falls Creek. So there's so many times we're uh, forced to to live with each other. So, you know, um, these people end up becoming, becoming your friends. So maybe that, that's the reason why, but, um, 
yeah, I think that camaraderie is certainly a, a key to our working hard together and, and getting results. Yeah, mate, it is a special thing. I even, I'm sort of laughing to myself as you talk because I'm thinking back to, to one of my best mates, James O'Connor, when I was growing up, me and him were quite competitive. And, and on a, a non-training day or a non-race day, we were the best of friends. And then came race day, uh, we couldn't even look at each other. It was, I don't know if it was just some young teenage blood where, you know, there was so much testosterone in the room that we didn't know how we were going to get over, you know, whether or if the other person uh, <laughs> beat us. It's a difficult thing to... To sort of develop but it would have been something as well like uh, I was interested to pick your brain on this because coming up as a junior and being the hot shot on the scene and uh, the young bloke that everyone talked about obviously it it, um, it lives for a little while that experience and then having blokes like uh, Stewie McSwain come through and, and start having a little sniff at your Aussie record I, I was interested just to pick your headspace on how you found that like it, it must be a maybe a double-laid thing where you're happy for him as a teammate and also inspired as an individual to try and make sure you you know, you don't let him get too close to that record that you've held? Oh, of course. Um, you know, I, I obviously want to want to hold on to that record for as long as I can. Um, you know, it was a very strong record. It stood since 1991 when Simon Doyle ran no, 331.96 and I lowered it by 0.9 and... Um, you know, it has stood 10 years, so it is, a, again, it, it is a strong record. But um, I, I'll still be trying to run faster. Um, you know, Stewie has an incredible amount of talent. Um, he's he's more, you know, more more naturally blessed than me. Um, and, and he'll have plenty more chances and, you know, he probably should, he probably should get it by the end of his um, career because he is, he does have time on his side. But um, I... On a, on a personal level, um, I feel like I've, you know, got got a a bit more in me, and because um, I even see that uh, when I, when I did do that race when I was twenty um, in two thousand and ten, um, you know, I have certainly been in. There's been times in my career when I've been in better shape than that. So that's the thing with the fifteen hundred. Um, you could like I, I actually had a better race and I was in better shape in 2016, but I ran 332.1 in Monaco. Um, it's just the way the 1500 works. If you get a really good track like Monaco, if you're perfect pacing, good conditions, um, everything, um, competition, you know, people around you at the right time, someone to overtake at the right times, it can be a matter of running 334 or 330. So, um, yeah, that's what that's one of the a, a massive motivation for me to to stay in um, good shape and, and even even improve is that I'd love to be in a position where um, I'm in really good shape again and and you know Nick gives me provides an opportunity to to go and run faster and um, it's not my major goal because um, at the end of the day you know records will be will be broken my um, main goals are things that are more concrete in, in, in results and I would like to do better at, at championships, um, things that will last the test of time. But uh, running faster than I have is something um, that I would love to do. And Stewie, he's a, an incredible talent and um, nothing that nothing that he does um, would surprise me.
Yeah, it's been freakish to watch. I mean, you've answered a bloke. I was going to throw a few audience questions to you when we wrap up at the end, but but Kale Bowd, I thought I'd give him a shout out because he actually asked that question. He said, uh, "Do you think you're capable of of bettering your your fifteen hundred meter record?" And I'm pretty sure through what you've just said, then you got some confidence that you know all going well, you you probably could. It's just it's I've I don't know. I think maybe I'm biased, but I think it's an event where there can be possibly the biggest obviously a marathon if you have perfect pacing it's such a long time um um if you have good pacing you can like like what they did over in um vienna with with that perfect pacing you can run so much faster but i don't know i've seen like david radisha um he's ran 140 he wrote the world record from the front no pacing um you know world champs last year Timothy Chariot from the front in the final around 329, but the shape he's in, you know, with pacemakers, I reckon he ran 326. Um, you ran 328 in Monaco, you know, before that last year or somewhere else, Paris, maybe, I'm not quite sure, but so he was slower on his own without pacing, and um, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs 326. So just, just with pacing, I reckon it could be three or four seconds. Um, so yeah, it's that tricky event. I don't know why, cause it's, it involves, I just think you get so much more out of it with, with, with um, with competition and, and being in the perfect environment. Um, no wind, it's, it's just, just massive. Um, I, I just think the fastest I could run on my own is, yeah, like a 336 or a 335, but, um, you know, and that, that's that's in really good conditions. But you know, you you go to a Monaco, you have good pacing, good competition. You know, I truly believe it's it's three or four seconds. It's mm. it's crazy. I just it, it's it's crazy. Um, I don't know why. Something about the distance, maybe the combination of aerob, aerobic capacity and speed. It's just tricky to kind of get your, the most out of yourself on your own. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I just see it time and time again in 1500. So many people do crazy results, um, crazier results than they ever have been able to do in, in other races um, or on their own when, when they get everything right. Um, they can yeah, run, run so much faster. Yeah, man, I was, I was actually, I was watching the little video of you and Andrew Weeding after the day that you set the Aussie record and, and he ran 3.30. And I think that was one of the days that uh, he was just explaining to me at the time. He goes, mate, it was a seven-second PB. And it just <laughs> it just blew his mind. Why does that happen? That doesn't yeah. happen. Like, I did a five-second PB. <laughs> or four, four and a half. Four and a half. He did, like, seven. It's just it's just because, like, all I'd done then is pretty much I had one season in Europe, but I was only 19. I, I wasn't that good yet, and I'd just been racing in Australia. But – that was the first time I'd literally been on the ropes, you know, in the first 300. And I just, it was just that perfect rate. It was only happened two races in my life, Monaco 2010 and Monaco 2016, where I was on the line, on my limit from the word go, where if I felt like in those two races, because this is how perfect the pacing was, if I felt like I was to go any faster at any moment, I would blow up. And it was just, I was on my absolute limit where there's been, Plenty of times around 3.34 and a halfway, um, I've felt great. Uh, look, I've around 3.34 and closed in a 53 once. So obviously <laughs> I felt good. I felt good. I felt good with a lap to go. So I should have been running faster earlier and maybe I would have ran 3.32. But 
um, in those two races, um, that's when I was able to run my two fastest time. It was just I was on my limit the whole way, and that's only something that comes with perfect pacing, competition. It's just too hard. I find it's too hard to kind of gauge it on your own, um, especially me. I'm not much of a front runner. Um, yeah, so competition, um, those, those big Diamond League races, that's why they're so much faster. There's just about three or four variables that if they go your way, it's just a, a recipe for fast times. I wonder why you've changed. Like, I wonder when it comes to that front running that you mentioned as a junior, it was the only way you know how to run. Um, I sort of, I'd taken a couple of notes here about what I wanted to talk to you about. And, and one of the notes that I've got down here is just your ability to race well. It seems that when you're in form, um, I, I put, I would put uh, Nick Willis, I would put Matt Centruitz, I would put, uh, there's, a, there's a number of athletes that I would include you in that when, when it's race day and you're in form and you're ready to go, yeah, you really know how to race, like you know how to win. And I, 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 I'm not convinced that that's something that people can develop to a great extent. Like I, I think I, I'm not 100% sure what that it is. I try and figure it out with whenever I watch all sports or whenever I watch, uh, I know you're a fan of horse racing and I had a chat to Jen about your terrible influence on her in the gambling scene. <laughs> but uh, it's something that it, it just seems to almost be – built into certain athletes. So is it, if you had a preference, uh, to, this is such an interviewee question, bro. I'm sorry. I try and do my best to make it conversation. It's such a blood. I can hear the interview coming out of me. But uh, if you had your ideal situation um, in a race format, would you would you be locking in a fast 1500 around the 330 pace or would you be hoping for that real sit and kick? Because I've watched you, I've watched you run 330 in a fast race and I've at the Olympic final in 2016, I reckon I'd be interested, actually, there's another audience question, but I'd be interested to see if you had your time again there, whether you would change the way that you ran it because it's one of those races where, and it's one of those things as well, man, hindsight's a, a bitch, but um, on the right day, I, I could have imagined you winning that race. And uh, I'm just curious to know what your favourite race format would be. Uh, first of all, you're very kind putting me in the same sentence as Nick Willis and uh, Matthew Centrowitz. Maybe um, I, I, one day I'd love to um, if I have a few good results over the next few years. I'd love to be mentioned with them, but they're they're, they're incredible and they're um, you know especially Willis with what he's done with longevity. He's mm. an he's an idol of mine um, and Centrowitz when it comes to tactics. You know I don't think anyone can can compete with him. It's just something that. Um. Yeah, it's just so driven into him. It's it just comes so naturally. Um, maybe it's something that helps with you know going to college. So many been in so many like slow races. That's why I was able to hand um handle uh, the, that Rio final so well. Uh, but but my my ideal race I would say would be something around like a three thirty eight yeah. race. Yeah. I feel um not not slow or not fast. Um, because if they run three. 29 I can't run 329 and then if it's like the Olympic final if it's 350 I'm not that I'm fast but I'm not a sprinter um mm. like say you got a Lewandowski who can run 47 seconds for 400 well I can only run 49 so I'm not gonna I'd struggle there but I have had um decent success at that kind of middle ground and um that is definitely a motivation of mine to, to be in good enough shape over the next few years that um, I, you know, an opportunity will, if I keep turning up, an opportunity will present itself where, um, yeah, something like that will fall into my hands and I'll be able to take, um, take the opportunity, make the most of it. And, um, I just think something like that 
is is ideal when it, it's not um, super super fast or or super super slow because I think that the faster it is, I know this sounds strange, but the faster it is, it plays more into the really strong guys more like a more like it's a five k because if the if the energy breakdown of, of the race fifteen hundred say it's um a normal race normal fifteen hundred is eighty five percent aerobic and fifteen percent anaerobic the faster the race is it's more like ninety percent aerobic ten percent anaerobic and the slower it is say it's a three fifty race like the Olympics well now it's like sixty percent aerobic forty percent anaerobic so it's just playing in the hand of the eight hundred meter runners and I think because I'm such a true fifteen hundred meter runner like I'm, I'm decent at the eight, but not not great. Decent at the five, but not great. Where really my best event is the fifteen hundred. So that's why a, a race that is that middle ground, um, not too fast, but not too slow. I think does suit someone um, like me. But you know, Shuey, because he's, you know, he's a better five k runner than he is at the fifteen hundred. He wants it as fast as possible because there's more of an aerobic component to the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're you know, uh, a 1500 meter runner who's not that fit and but really fast. You, you know, you want a slow race um, where it's a big sprint at the end. Um, so that's yeah, it's just the breakdown of, of the race and how much aerobic component it has. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense, man. Mate, we've been chatting for an hour. I've I've got a couple of audience questions that they've submitted here. If you have you got a few minutes to to answer of course, some of these, yeah. there's, there's been a few submitted, so I won't be able to get through them all. Um, here we go. Matt Axford has asked. He goes, mate, can we expect to see you at the World Cross Country in Bathurst? You're a gun as a as a junior. I would love. I would love to be. Um, I would. I I do think I'd be able to make the 10k. Um, obviously, if you put everyone, um, all our best 10k runners, uh, put it down on paper. I'm obviously not making. I'm not not making that six. Uh, when you think about. You know, Stewie McSwain, Pat Tiernan, Brett Robinson, Jack Rayner, Harry Summers, Liam Adams, there's Dave McNeil. Um, like that's they're very good runners. But I do think if it came to a trial, I don't think I'd finish outside the top six. Maybe that's me just being um, deligrious. But I think I'd be able to salvage at least six spot. Um, well, Morgan McDonald, God, strong team. Yeah, it's a strong um, team. I just reckon I'd, I'd be able to just sit on whoever's in six and just get past them in the last meter. <laughs> um, so I think I'd be able to make that um, if I ran if I ran great. But I think once I got there, like really, realistically, I'm not finishing any faster than any better than well Matt Rams and finished in the 30s. Um, the last World Cross in Denmark, I'm you know that's about where I'd finish. Oh, yeah, Ramsden, that's another name. Jeez, um, it's a very strong team. But I think um, I would be better suited to the there's a 2k um relay um i think i'd be better suited to that obviously stewie would be our best um australia's best 2k runner um right now but he would do the 10k but i would i would love to have a an opportunity to to do the 2k i think uh matt rams and myself would probably be you know outside you know Stewie um, Australia's next best 2k runner so I think we'd we'd be a very strong team I think it'd be two boys and two girls so I think that's something we'd love to try and do yeah awesome man Um, Craig Smith wants to know have you got any training tips for an almost 40 year old bloke that's been running for a year 
just run more threshold runs and long runs. Just make everything as aerobic as possible. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, Benny Max, I think I'm saying that right. But yeah, Benny Max. Uh, oh, do you do your shorter, faster work earlier in the week when you're fresher, or it doesn't matter? It's tricky. With we do three sessions, so we do workouts on Tuesday, um, Thursday, Saturday, and um, you do want to do so one night a week on a Monday night. I do some fast sprints. Um, and Monday, yeah, that is the day it kind of works out because if you, do, you obviously can't do it Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. You can't do it Sunday because the long run. And then if you're doing it Wednesday or Friday, um, you've done a, a, a decent workout the day before. So Monday it works out. You have, you've run an hour that morning. You have done a long run the day before, but which is hard, but it's not as intense as a, as a, as a, as a session. So Monday seems to be – the best the best time but you also got to make sure it's not too in too intense the, the sprints or the strides or whatever you do because we, we do a, a good solo track session on tuesday morning so it's just enough to um, work on some fast switch fibers but not um, get tired beautiful man i've got two more here uh, if you could rerun if you could rerun the 2016 uh, olympic final what tactical decisions would you make to better your chances tricky um i'm you know, you could say I'd just try to do what Centroids did and run from the front, but I have proven that I'm I'm not an amazing front runner. And I think that that takes a special type of athlete, which Centroids is, to be able to, to run from the front. And um, you don't really relax as well at the front as you do when you are further back because there are – it's inevitable that you think about more things and you have someone trying to um, – overtake you and you've got to try and hold them out the whole way because if you are in the lead, the aim is to to, to stay in the lead. Um, so it, it is difficult if you get there after the first 100 metres like he did, which is what, what makes it such an incredible, incredible race. Um, I, I was in a really good spot with two laps to go, but then um, Quaymoy, the one of the Kenyans, went down and as he went down, it, the pack shuffled, I put a foot on the infield and I did stay up, but um, in that kind of kerfuffle, I I lost a few spots, and now I'm pretty much back on the rail. So it was pretty much over from there because when everyone's trying to move trying to move forward in that in that third lap, 700 to go, you just got to go so wide. It's it's so hard um, mm. if you're not already in one of those those good spots. So th- that was difficult, but um, I, I guess I just would have made sure um, that I was just yeah a few spots higher at, at the bell and being more. Um, being more desperate, um, 700 to go, even if it meant, even if it meant I had to go a bit wide, um, to just make sure that instead of being essentially, yeah, last at the bell, even though I was on the rail, um, you know, be a bit wider, um, but, you know, be at least a couple of meters further up in position like eighth, so then you can move through and who knows, maybe grab a medal, come fifth, um, um, but yeah, once I was, it was 13 in the final because someone fell over in the semis, they got added in. So like in the last lap, I did improve four positions, but when everyone's closing in 50 seconds, yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, there isn't much room to move. Yeah. And mate, the running coal miner has asked, now I, I'm not sure if this is uh, just a bad effort on my behalf. I don't know who this is or if there's any context here. Um, who's better at backyard cricket, you or Will Grant? Very good. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Can you explain that one to me? I don't know what's going on there. Oh, Will's a, a distant relation of mine. Okay. 
Uh, he's like a fourth cousin, we'll call it. I think we worked out our grandmothers were maybe, oh, they might have been fourth cousins. I don't know. It's very distant. Uh, but Will's a like lifelong friend of mine, and um, um, he lived with my family in Wollongong in 2009 um, when he first moved up from Bega. And yeah, every day we play backyard cricket. I still. <laughs> jump at any opportunity to play. I absolutely love it. And I'm very intense. <laughs> I look, he probably say he was better, I'll say I'm better. But they were very heated games. Um we certainly got the best out of ourselves at that, that level of competition and um good times and, and we it was just honesty systems like if if someone would um you know defend a ball and it pops up to short leg or something like that, even though it didn't hit a bin or something who was like a fielder. If, if you thought it would be out in a real game, you just have to um, you'd have to admit defeat. And what we would do is say we started playing at 6.30, we'd say, all right, whoever's in at 7 o'clock is the winner. <laughs> so, it, like, it gets super intense <laughs> at, like, 6.58 because you know – if that if you get them out then you've got to be tactical about this because you don't want to get it get in too early. So then at six fifty eight you'd be bowling like really tearing in. And if you you know if you get if you get in at like six fifty eight thirty, you only got to face ninety <laughs> seconds and then you you'll win. And um yeah, intense. Oh intense. man, that's so funny. Dude, actually I've got to add my last question to this list and I feel like I need to ask it on behalf of um, every single bloke in Australia. Because Jen has told me her side of the story of how you guys have got together. Um, I'm still, I put myself in the same category as you when it comes to marrying up. That's not to say you're not a gorgeous bloke, just like myself, I like to think. But, uh, <laughs> but walk, us, walk us through how you've done that, mate, because I, uh, I, I, saw you, I saw a video that she posted of you with your shirt off today. I thought, you know what, actually, maybe I understand, but uh, I've got to hear it from, from the, the mouth of the great man himself. How have, how have you managed to uh, pull that one off? I've never really understood what everyone's talking about. I've always <laughs> said that I was more attractive um, Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm obviously batting well above um, my average there. Um, it just started, you know, she was an older girl, you know, only one year. But when you're a young runner and you're 17 and there's a, um, a good-looking runner who's 18, you know, that feels like – I don't know. That's just how it felt for me when I was seventeen. Um, an eighteen-year-old girl, like they—they're going out. They're adults. It felt a lot older. So maybe because of that, I just felt I had absolutely no <laughs> chance. And because I felt I had no chance, I would just get confident and and just throw chat when yeah, there was no consequences because I didn't think I was a chance anyway. But really. I guess what I was doing is that she actually did like me and it was working. And she, we were always, you know, she was, in, she was in Queensland, I was in New South Wales, then she went to college for like four years. So we didn't really see each other that much. But whenever I did see her, I guess I was always so relaxed around her because I just – she always had a boyfriend. So then obviously got a chance. So then I just flirt more and stuff like that. So I was just – I just I guess I showed my, my, my true self because I never really thought I had a chance. So obviously, man, I had had no game with obviously girls that I thought like <laughs> date, but because I thought Genevieve was off limits, that um, yeah, I actually impressed her by 
yeah, showing him my true self. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's so good. Bro, hey, mate, I'll, uh, I'll let you go. We've been talking for 10 minutes longer than I said we would. But, uh, mate, hey, thanks so much for making the time. It's, it's, I'm glad we finally locked this one in. Mm-hmm.